Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I am your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations identifying the trends that will most likely impact their business and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author of an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also an adjunct faculty member at universities in the U.S. and Germany. I'm delighted that with me today is Christoph Henske. In the last years, Christoph worked on understanding and increasing the impact and resilience of organizations and networks using insights provided by the research at the Institute for Strategic Clarity. Consequently, his activities focus on identifying organizations that outperform their peers by more than 100% on a sustainable and healthy basis. He currently focuses his efforts on multiplying the insights gained from his work with these organizations and networks. He does this in Europe, Africa, North, Central, and South America, together with foundations, companies, research centers, activists, and politicians. I want this Voice America series to be helpful for all of our listeners. And in doing that, my goal is to present interesting thought leaders, practitioners and researchers who will share their insights and experience and my hope is that each week you hear something that you can put immediately into action in your life and experiment with it. It's my belief that as the rate of change accelerates we as leaders need to accelerate the changes in our leadership style to stay current and ahead of the curve and drive the impact that we're trying to create in the world rather than responding reactively so during this session we'll talk to Christoph about his work with 22 thought leaders in running large-scale transformation processes commissioned by the German government looking at global implications of transformation and exploring the patterns and specifics of societal scale transformation in different cultures this work is being leveraged by sustainability and transformation people around the world. So Christoph, welcome. Can you give us a, just a little bit more about your background? Yes. Hi Maureen. Good to be here. So my background, I actually I'm, in, I'm actually born in a country that doesn't exist anymore, you know, and that's huh. interesting because it's a transformation in itself. And so I was born in Eastern Germany, which now doesn't exist anymore. So, but I don't want to go that far back. So currently, mm-hmm. I'm living in Germany, <laughs> and um, most, how you say, most um, happily moving soon to the Netherlands because my wife is Dutch, mm-hmm. and I'm really excited to move to the Netherlands to Deventer, which is a beautiful town, a beautiful city, and which the largest open air book festival in Europe, I think, and so amazing city. So, yeah, and my background in so content wise is I once in my life, when I was younger, I studied global change management. I have a master in that. And um, there I focused on the intersection between 
global environmental, political, social changes and the attitude or the capacities leaders have to have or decisions makers have to have in order to cope with that. So how do I have to be in order to stay on top of the game mm -hmm. if my context radically changes? How Perfect. do I do that? How do I have to be in order, without collapse? And that's what we're really going to talk about today. Yeah, exactly. So you just wrote a report, Agreements of Transformation, Experience-Based Research, Exploring the Patterns and Specifics of Societal Scale Transformation in Different Cultures. And this was commissioned by who? The project underlying this report was supported with funding from the Federal Ministry for the Environment, Nature Conservation, Building and Nuclear Safety. And they approached in us country? in Germany. Yes, okay. In Germany, sorry, yes. And so, and one day they, they, they heard us speaking at a conference. Mm -hmm. they said, so what you are doing with your research globally, identifying organizations who outperform the peers, who really work with transformative processes and, and approaches, um, we would like to understand how those organizations reflect a question of transformation. So leaders, who have a direct experience or lived experience of a transformation process, mm -hmm. not only for myself, you know, with my wife alone or with my mm -hmm. kids or with one employee, but or with two or with a department, but really leaders who were taking whole large organizations or whole regions mm -hmm. or even networks of organizations or fields of impact, fields mm -hmm. of research through a radically shift and how they experienced that and what was their role in that. And so with them, I was um, having conversations and those people came from all around the world. Mm -hmm. So you want me to speak more into who they were? Are we diving to it later? So first, what was the objective of the report? Perfect. So the objective of the report is to, uh, we want to understand how, so the German government then asked us, how do leaders in different countries or in different cultures defined by nation states, mm -hmm. so this was mm -hmm. a cultural perspective that we took mm -hmm. here, so different nation states, how does different leaders in those different nations reflect on the question of transformation? What are the concepts, what are the methods, what are the tools, what are mm -hmm. the frameworks that they use, are they different or are they similar from approaches in German-speaking Europe, or in Germany, sorry, mm -hmm. not German-speaking yeah. Europe, because it's very different, Austria and mm -hmm. Switzerland is very different from Germany, mm -hmm. so really is there a difference or are there patterns? Okay, perfect. And you'll get into the content yes. in a moment. So who did you interview? This wasn't just Germans. In fact, it was mainly non-Germans. Yeah, it was actually one of the conditions was to not interview Germans. Okay. Because they really wanted to understand how other nation cultures mm -hmm. um, think about that topic. So I interviewed 22 persons mm -hmm. um, ranging from Farmers in the Inuit tradition from Canada to people working with indigenous cultures in Mexico to the Commission of Economic Development in Ghana to professors in South Africa, Harvard and research Harvard scholars in the United States to Copenhagen Business School professors to social entrepreneurs two people from the Netherlands mm -hmm. are working as interim managers and doing amazing work so and those were the people more or less that, yeah, that I interviewed so from Romania 
from northern countries mm. to southern countries to east-west. So that seems like a pretty broad range of folks yeah. and very different points of view. Yes. From a shaman to an economic development minister to a Harvard prof. Yeah. I, I'm assuming they're different points of view. Yeah. <laughs> Given that broad range of people, one, how did you select them? Yes. So um, one of the things, and therefore the German government approached us, said, so the network of people that you're working with globally, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the people in your network are approaching situations from a very different stance. This is what mm -hmm. you find in your research. They're not coming from scarcity, but they're more coming from abundance. So are these the people, in, in your bio we talked about, people with 100% more, they outperform, they're, they're the positive deviants. Exactly. So, so are all those 22 from the positive deviant group? Uh, partly. Partly they are out of the networks that we already identified, so mm -hmm. I approach them because they're mm -hmm. part of our networks, they're part of the research pool okay. of the institute. And I approach and ask them, would you be willing to have a conversation with me? And then, by being on conferences over the last two mm -hmm. years a lot, um, by being in, in conversations with a lot of people I identified and colleagues of my identified mm -hmm. people, I said, Christoph, you should have a conversation with those people. Mm -hmm. Because they are telling a story of transformation. Mm -hmm according to the insights that we generated at the Institute, so as a criteria, and you should have a conversation with So the filter was really people, two filters. A, people who experienced transformation, like change at a fundamental level, mm -hmm. change in assumptions. Yes, this is transformation. So are they changing their system, themselves, or both? That's really interesting question. You're diving into the results, partly. Sorry. So <laughs> I can speak to that if you like. Yes, but please. So one of, this is one of the key insights: is large-scale transformation does not happen if you are not open and willing and able to change yourself. Which is kind of the underlying premise of this show: that we as leaders, yeah. driving transformation, must show up differently. Yes. So can you say a little bit more about that? Why does that matter? Why does it matter? That's a great question. When I reflect on those interviews, the transformation itself was nearly never in the forefront. It was never about the trend. So we want to transform and now we do a process and then we're transformed. <laughs> and it was really... It's not that easy? No. It, it, the, the interview partners shared that they were seeking for superior results. Okay, and uh, transformation happened to be required to get there. And because, So they were looking for superior results and they started to understand either through by engaging in conversations, by bumping into, into barriers, or by just mm -hmm. because they were in an own inner process. Like, okay, wait, if I really want to achieve superior results, I have to, I have to reassess, rethink my whole basic assumptions. Because obviously, with the current assumptions that I hold, mm -hmm. I can reach to a certain threshold. I can come to a certain point. Mm -hmm. But I want, to, I want to come beyond that because I see something else. I see okay. something else as possible. And therefore, they started to work very much on their own understanding of how to approach situations. And so to answer your question again really into a point is why is that important? Well, transformation are important if you if you're seeking for superior results which are way beyond status quo, mm -hmm. then you should look into not only this report but into the literature who really talks about personal transformation because when you transform by for yourself as a leader, the context around you is triggered doesn't necessarily has to, but it's triggered to change mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. 
And so this is a basic story that I again and again heard. And to be really clear, transformation is not easy cake. It's not eating, mm -hmm. you know, it's not easy. It's hard, it's suffering. And they were talking about, like, it's really difficult. And it was worth every single story. Talk, it's absolutely worth. Because okay. afterwards we had, we were not only much more efficient and effective, we created massive innovations in the fields. Mm -hmm. We created whole new fields, you know. And this was really done by also asking, not only you have to change, mm -hmm. but also I have to change. Mm -hmm. so it never worked. And this was often implicit. And that's been one of the foundations of my work, and I think we've talked about that. Yes. That if I continue to lead the way I did, we'll get incremental change, but it is unlikely that we will get dramatic system transformation change. Yeah. So I, as a leader, need to continue to update how I lead. Yes. And you're going to give us some examples of that, I yes. assume. Okay. So what were some of the key questions you asked in the interview? You know, one of the things when, I, when, when you start doing this kind of interviews and you ask, so what is transformation? People tend to walk into wishful thinking. So I think transformation should be like this and that. But I really wa I'm not interested, or I, in this moment, I was not interested in some theoretical concepts that they happen to read in a book. No, mm -hmm. I was really interested in their personal experience of the situations that they lived through. Mm -hmm. So what I ask, I ask actually only one question. Please remember a situation, or the situations that you told me already of, uh -huh. please remember the situation and then share the situation with me. Just share the story of transformation. It could be this moment or it could be a, a, a process that happened over years. And so they told me the story. Okay. Just they, they told me the experience. And what I did from the research methodology and frameworks that we developed at the Institute for Strategic Clarity, I started to listen with four different ears. Okay. And those were, I listened for agreements on different <coughs> perspectives. Okay. So I really tried to understand what are the underlying agreements that happened in this situation. And I was looking for the agreements from the resource perspective. So what were the things in place? Mm -hmm. What was there? And how much was there of what? And then I listened through the allocation mechanism or like the political power question. So who made decisions and who enforced decisions? And what mm -hmm. were the agreements here? How were decisions made? And how were things mm -hmm. enforced? And then the third one was I was trying to listen for agreements on the culture. What is important to us? What was important in this moment? Only results, only learning, or learning and results or possibilities. So what was important? What mm -hmm. was the culture? And the last lens of the last year I was using in these conversations was the social interaction or the organizing principles. So was it about mm. collaboration? Was it about only competition? So what were the organizing principles? And this, what, this was what I was listening for. And then I created a narrative of that. And this is what you can read in the report. Like all the 22 uh -huh. narratives which are validated are in this report. So it's 22 stories. So let me recap and, and correct me if I'm missing it. Yes. So you talked to Orland Bishop. Yes. And you would say something to the effect of, Orland, tell me the biggest transformation you were engaged in. And then let's go through this series of questions so that we can explore how you engage transformation. Yes, so I really asked him, so remember a situation where you experience a change at fundamental level. Okay. Which is transformation. So in uh, underlying assumptions. Yeah. So ob yes, what you say, yeah. And then the learnings from that report, you compiled all of those hours of interviews. Yes. 
and came out with themes and major findings. Yeah, I did text analysis, like really basic um, research, good mm. research text analysis, mm -hmm. hard work, hours and hours of work of going through text, text coding, and then I came up with the, what are patterns and themes. And what was super interesting, a really strong pattern actually really soon emerged, there are no cultural patterns. Interesting. There is no difference between transformation and change experience in Ghana from some, like from a commissioner for economic development in Ghana and, an, and uh, um, a social entrepreneur in Mexico or a um, Canadian shaman, you know. They were using different words. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But the experience and the agreements at play... The agreements at play were the same. Absolutely. Always the same. So we're going to go on break, and as soon as we come back, I want to explore that further. How can that be, and what were the agreements at play underlying successful transformations? Wonderful. So we will be back momentarily. You are listening to Maureen Metcalf and Christoph Henske talking about the foundational agreements that support large-scale transformations. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one -on -one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You are listening to Christoph Henske and Maureen Metcalf. And Christoph is explaining the findings from this set of interviews on agreements of transformation. So Christoph, what did you learn through these 22 interviews? Great question. So 
I mean, there are obviously many things that are learned and that came out of that. And, and I would really like to focus on really the key, key, key high-level insights here for me is that, A, what I mentioned before already, there, there is, we could really not identify nation-culture-specific approach, that Ghanaians do it very different from Danish people or Swedish people or, mm -hmm. like, Mexican or Canadian persons. There's a strong pattern, actually, to saying the underlying agreements or the things that were done in those processes, or that happened in those processes, or the attitudes that I had were really similar. There was a strong pattern in that. And so one of the things, and I mentioned before, that I was looking through four perspectives, like the economic, mm -hmm. political, etc. No? And so I would perhaps try to highlight the one or other, I think, really thrilling or exciting piece from each of those perspectives. Yeah, let's do that. And so, for example, in this, what I really found when I was trying to listen of how much was there, which is somewhat the resource of economic, mm -hmm power, mm. economic questions, so how much was there of what? What was really interesting to me to learn is that leaders and their groups in those situations always said abundance of resources. They said resources are abundant. Which is interesting because most business leaders I work with think they never have enough. Perfect. And this is what we learn because resources are scarce. This is what mm -hmm. we learn. This is what we find in dictionaries. And this was As an economics major in yeah, undergrad yeah. school, yeah, that was exactly what we learned. Not exactly. And so, and so this for me, then, then I was wondering, so, well, you know, if I hear that, this sounds a bit strange. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I asked him. So I did you continue to uh, draw? Yeah, I absolutely digged, digged and triggered and teased and say, okay, if this is true, if it's true what you're saying, that resources in those transformation, transformative processes were mm -hmm. abundant, uh, a how and, and, and how did you do that and how mm -hmm. did you notice that? Well, they said, well, resources regenerated by themselves. Right? So, I, like, I want some of those. Yeah. <laughs> so they said, well, you know, because we were so compelling, we had such a compelling vision, we were so interactive and collaborative in our interaction, which is this interaction, like the social mm -hmm. perspective mm -hmm. that I took on. So we're saying we were really collaborative and we really valued the other human being. With, still, we had challenges and we were fighting sometimes, but we were always uh -huh. appreciative. We were an appreciative inquiry with each other. We had nonviolent conflicts, you know. So and how we treat one another was foundational. Foundational, because they were able to treat each other different much mm -hmm. more from a human perspective, like you're a human being with full potential. I want to, I want to invite you into this piece here. People wanted to be in, and in the moment people really wanted to be in, they brought their own resources, like with contacts, with money, with ideas, and all the mm -hmm. things that we mm -hmm. need in order to drive change. Mm -hmm. And therefore, constantly were regener re like a regeneration of the things that we need in order to move forward. And so it grew by itself. Okay. And so another insight, um, I said in the, like in the statement here, just to read a quote, here from the three, but like conversation partners shared that money and other resources were often perceived to be limited, but never as scarce. So what's the difference between limited and scarce? So limited, I right now I don't have enough money to buy me like, Ferrari. A Ferrari, exactly. Me either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> but if, you, if but you'd like to share, <laughs> so here I, I feel I have a limitation, but I do not fall into this. Okay, and now I'm completely collapsed. I will never be able to. Ah, so wait, okay. what can I do? What kind of contacts, networks can I build in order to reach people in my networks that can bring in theirs and they can borrow me in, or like that I can lease it for skills that I can bring to them because they cannot do storytelling. So that may be the difference between helpless. Exactly. If I'm not helpless, I can develop the capacity to figure it out and make it happen. Exactly. So limited 
but not helpless. Exactly. Or another thing. To use my words. Yeah, exactly. And then there's another thing. So who decided and enforced was very much the power resides in the freedom of the parts, and always contributes to the whole at the same time. Again, again, what does so that mean? That means is I am free to choose and decide for myself. As when I'm in a large scale systems mm -hmm, process, mm -hmm. I and me and my organization. I can do what I what I can do best for myself, mm -hmm. and I'm increasing my own value, the values that I need for my success. Mm -hmm. But because we're united in a deeper purpose, driving towards something, I mm -hmm. intentionally, unintentionally, paying into this higher order goal, and mm -hmm. you're also doing that. So I am driving my own success, and intentionally and unintentionally driving the success of the whole, and by that paying into your success as well as the other one pays into my success. Okay. And this so is I mean one of the key insights for how we make decisions. So we are free to decide and enforce. And in the way of how we do that, we don't undermine or have collateral damage for the other. So I heard it. something in there that merits revisiting. Deeper shared purpose. Yeah. So if you and I have a deeper shared purpose, rather than I just want to get ahead, and if that means you get behind, that's okay. You and I are committed to transforming the government in Ghana so that people have more sustainable food. That's a deeper shared purpose. And that's bigger than I want the next promotion. Yeah, so deeper shared purpose really is something. What, what is it that makes you stand up at night and start working at 3 o'clock in the morning? Because mm. you're super excited about that. Too much so, coffee for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> so really something, what is it that, what is this, a unifying element, mm -hmm. what is this, is something that unites us mm -hmm. in our intentions? Mm -hmm. And every group, in all those 22 conversations, and also the work that we do at the Institute, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Th there's always, you can find this. We often well, don't find this because we don't, do not drill deep enough, or we do not take the time, because we say, oh, we are scarce in time. And it's actually something mm -hmm. that I also say, time is never, it's, it's, yes, time is a limiting resource, mm -hmm. but it's never scarce. And if we take the time for certain things, we actually liberate time for many other things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if we have a shared intention here, then we just have, we don't have to clean up so many mess mm -hmm. in the after, like in the after run. Let me probe that a little deeper, because I facilitated a CEO group last week and we were talking about something like this, deeper shared purpose, and we may have used different words. and. One of the things I heard is that that's that stuff millennials want, right? That's not what we need. Oh, interesting. It, it was an interesting conversation. And so what it sounds like what you're hearing is consistently across organizations changing, not necessarily steady state, but organizations transforming. This deeper shared purpose really serves as the steering wheel in the vehicle. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and this deeper shared purpose piece, it's not only that this was said by one person or two persons. I was saying by mm -hmm. one of the um, head people from uh, from the World Health Organization that I interviewed, mm -hmm. or um, people running major corporations or departments of mm -hmm. corporations. Mm -hmm. So really, if we are able to unite in you to unite our intentions, mm -hmm. if we unite intentions, we can do anything, because we have we just created a much larger body or an ecosystem, actually, mm -hmm. of intentions. And this is also what one of the things that, from an organizational perspective, what I found here in those stories is they always were talking about an ecosystem of shared intentions. So again, that is, for some people, those words are going to sound strange. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example, a concrete example, about one of the participants and what was their deeper shared purpose? 
Yes, so a great example of one I interviewed a person from Hungary, mm -hmm. um, from Habitat for Humanity. Mm -hmm. And first, Habitat for Humanity in Hungary was about, oh, we search there are people without houses, so let's build a lot of houses. And so just let's throw a lot of things on a challenge. So we're mm -hmm. throwing more houses on people. Mm -hmm. They were successful with that. Mm -hmm. And then at one point they said, well, there's something else we can actually do here. So they came up together, they came up with something we can actually transform the discourse on European level and then also on, on the regional level here in Hungary mm -hmm. and beyond mm -hmm. Hungary to go, it's not only about houses, that people have, you know, a box to put their hand yeah. at night in, it's much more. And so they created something that was exciting for them as Habitat for Humanity, mm -hmm. but also for the stakeholders needed, or the interest group needed, right. in order to make this shift. So they were identifying those, and then through conversations, and it's not ha does this doesn't happen from today or tomorrow, it's mm -hmm. a process of weeks or months. Right. I absolutely see that. But once they had that, the shift like was radically fast, because like, well, if you see this as possible, and if you see that as possible, well, if everybody sees it as possible, it's probable. And so then that, we can actually only we only have to say yes and implement it. So that especially what I hear is multi-stakeholder change. Yes. So we're building houses, but what causes people to be homeless to begin with? Yes. And often it's a health issue or an education issue or an economic issue. Yes. So how do we engage those stakeholders, and especially in that context? So and here it's really it's not every stakeholder is not everybody really success relevant stakeholders. If you are really clear on the shared intention, like this mm -hmm. piece. The thing that we really want to accomplish that excites the stakeholders mm -hmm. or the success relevant stakeholders, then you can achieve that. And and again, no, sorry. And and so, success relevant stakeholders really means what other stakeholders needed in order to drive the success. So that's not everybody, but really a group. That seems foundational for me because often I think people hear. I have to include all stakeholders, and you imagine this like drowning. Yeah, you're having meetings. this ma radical background noise. <laughs> you're just inviting background noise. This is not strategic. Mm -hmm. So, so you're talking about who are the stakeholders that will allow us to accomplish this mission, yeah. and and I get representatives from each of those voices, exactly. and we get together and we develop a shared perspective. Shared and language. and what's important here, not inviting them into our, our cause. But it's know, a collective cause. It's a collective cause. Like mm -hmm. we I'm not inviting you into my idea, but mm -hmm. I'm actually I'm making my idea completely to disposal for conversation. Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm absolutely open to be changed by you. I not only I'm open, I want to be changed by you because I don't if I don't be if I'm not changed by you, I know I'm not in the right spot. So that gets back to our and when you say change, you're talking about I change my perspective. I expand yes. my thinking. Absolutely. I, I Still well, it can also go much way. deeper. I, I, I was interviewing people working in Mexico and Guatemala, mm -hmm. and but also in, in, in when I was wor in working with um, interviewing somebody from who worked for the um, Global Compact, like it was really on a really also steep spiritual level. What are my basic assumptions that I hold about myself and the world? Mm -hmm. It's a really deep question. So who am I? And only if I ask myself who am I and what is my contribution in the world and what. Do do I really want to achieve here? Mm -hmm. Only then I can start asking and coming. And only then I come to certain nuances if I drill into this question. Sometimes, but if, no, if you're not open to that, what I heard, then transformation change is not possible. I mean, well, mm -hmm. I am me and I'm, I don't change. <laughs> well, and when we ask questions in the United States about something like healthcare, is it a right? Yeah. What is it to, it gets back to what are humans entitled to? What do they earn? This is 
uh, certainly not a political show, but being open to that discourse. Yeah, absolutely, and is required to bring together the different factions. And this is actually you mentioning healthcare. This is so some of the insights from this report and also from this whole research at Reuters mm -hmm. Institute, we are actually applying with, with some of the twenty-five largest foundations in the United States in order to transform the health system in the United States. Mm -hmm. So how, how does it look like? Whom to include? And I just wanted to read something else here, which really speaks to that what we what we're mentioning here. Yeah. So interview partners really said in summary, societal scale transformation is a journey into the unknown, framed by a psychologically safe support structure, in which members enable each other to find ways to walk into the future they see together. There's three elements that are important. We see a future together mm -hmm. in which we can walk to because we have an ecosystem or an environment which is psychologically safe for me, mm -hmm. you know, where I'm not harmed, which is not So harmful. I can make mistakes. Yeah, exactly. And I can say and uninformed, not stupid things, but things that are not fully baked yet. Exactly. And then the third piece is I'm like, it's a journey into the unknown. So this openness to sitting in, is it called ambiguity or this in, ambiguity? In yeah. Ambiguity. And the, and the tension of I don't really know what so building the bridge while mm -hmm. walking over the over the abysm, you know. And this is what I heard over and over again. So again, let me maybe restate that in my words. You and I working together, and I do this with almost every engagement. What's possible? So I define what the future can look like, not the lowest to get by, but if we were to show up and be our best selves, what's possible? Exactly. Then what environment do we need to create to, so I'm willing to take that step. And then the third step is? To walk into that, to sit in the ambiguity. Ah, that's right. Okay, so in the safety, I trust you, or yes. I actually do trust you because yes. we know each other well, and you and I work on projects, and I know that if there's something that's undefined, you and I will support one another 100% to get that. Absolutely, even if you're not in the room. And this is directly taken out of one of the interviews. The people, it was, it happened because the people that we were, like, in this group, mm -hmm. in this group of hundreds of people, we mm -hmm. were thinking for each other, even though we mm -hmm. were not in the same room. So we created possibilities for the other, mm -hmm. even though he was not there and this was not his gig. And, that and so this is massive. So we create, it's collaborative value ownership. So we create value for the other intentionally and unintentionally, but mm -hmm. also very intentionally. And thus we create a community of trust. So you and I have that deeper shared purpose. Yes. So what's our deeper shared purpose? Well, I think to really show and invite people into a different possibility of being a leader in a world that could like very different could look like very different. This is what mm -hmm. I would say. Do mm -hmm. you agree with or how would yeah, you Yeah, I would say slightly different words as the world is changing dramatically. How do we build the capacity within humans and organizations to perpetually transform? Yeah. So similar shared purpose, different words. Yes. We certainly create an environment of trust and safety, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and there's plenty of ambiguity because you're in the Netherlands and Germany. We're all over the place. And there's I, always this messiness of culture and language. I mean, always. Yeah, and yeah. we have to be clear. And again, transformation processes and any kind of change process is never easy. So it is painful, and the interview partners were clear, it is painful, and nevertheless it's worth doing it. It's worth, mm -hmm. because we want to have better superior outcomes, which put us not only at the forefront of innovation in mm -hmm. our business mm -hmm. or in our market, 
but also who that allows us to have 200 kids and a high quality standard running through our education system in this town instead of 50 only mm -hmm. with a really crappy standard or quality mm -hmm. so to me it's not about wanting but just like if it's nice or not just do you want to have better outcomes well, and more fun <laughs> <laughs> creating a better future and enjoying the, the work process yeah, I enjoy absolutely. working with you yeah I don't enjoy working with everyone yeah but <laughs> and this is so this is what they really described and well yeah Perfect. Thank you. And thanks for kind of exploring our working relationship on air. Um, well, and I want to model this, that we live in ambiguity a lot. There are often, in my little, the project I'm working on now that you're giving feedback on today, I didn't know what I was going to hear. Yeah. Fortunately, it was good. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd be having a different interview. Okay, so we will be back momentarily. This is Maureen Metcalf and Christoph Henske, and we are talking about transformation. As we return in our final segment, we're going to talk about the recommendations. Yes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one -on -one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You are with Maureen Metcalf and Christoph Hinsk, and he is, or we are talking about large-scale transformations and specifically the report that he just published a couple of weeks ago for the German government. So we are now moving into recommendations. So can you give us the highlights? 
Yeah, so, so there are four different recommendations that came out of this work, and I assume that this report will then be available through your website or blog it, or something like that. It, it'll be certainly available on the blog. Yeah, perfect. So because, I mean, there's much more content to it, and it's really exciting, really exciting stories to just read. It's, a, it's great stories. But So four of the key recommendations. So perhaps the first question is recommendations for what? And so recommendations here very specifically in order to grow the networks, Mm -hmm. of those people who are taking on those changes at large scale. Ah, yes. And to to empower them and to bring them them forward and by that whole society, societies in different countries forward in order to make shifts towards more sustainability. And well you can you can actually after this report I can say happiness. You know, <laughs> mindfulness, happiness. Ah. Well being. Because this is this is what always in all those stories were one of the side outcomes actually of those processes. By looking going by wanting to have more impact or results, they came to increasing the way of how they did it, increasing the well being, happiness of their social context. That was after the transformation was yes. complete. During and the transformation, during, maybe not so much. Yeah, well, to a certain extent, and again, it was mm -hmm. hard, etc. Yeah, yeah. And, and it started during the transformation, because mm -hmm. if not, they wouldn't have stayed in the transformation. So part of this is, if I have a deeper shared purpose, and I see that we're building schools for young people, or yeah. building homes, I feel good even when I'm tired and cranky. Yeah. So I'm assuming there's some purpose and meaning add to my own sense of well-being. Yeah, because in per so to sleep, perfect. Way. And perhaps I can read a quote actually yeah. um, from one of the people that I had a conversation on that report, which is um, Jim Thronberg, which is the founder of Solo, a mm -hmm. sock company mm -hmm. in the States. And he said, a business or social system designed to prevent human relations from happening, demanding that its members avoid trustful relationships, collapses the very system over the long run. The amount of energy used to resist human relations makes its members sick as they burn their energy out. On the other hand, when entering and nourishing trustful relations, businesses or social systems gain energy and become self-sustaining and impact resilient. So this means basically in the industrial era and for the businesses still designed that way. Yeah. You come in, you do your work, you don't hang out with people. Talking is stealing, that stealing energy that is obsolete and we know this from Gallup and other things and he's saying even a deeper message right that yeah. this sense of humans working together as human beings fully present and then you can transform a system and when you're not that you can't it's harder it's super hard or I mean you can transform a system by force okay. yeah as we see in many cases examples mm -hmm. just currently and you, you can radically change a system but because of force, whenever you put force mm -hmm. into a system, mm -hmm. if you put a lot of energy into a system by force, what happens with the, with the law? breaks. So the energy that you put in, in the system has to go out, has to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. Well, the other is sustainable. Back. Yeah, it's not sustainable because either the energy and force, like in mm -hmm. rejection, mm -hmm. it bounces back to you, and we see that already in some mm -hmm. of our examples out there in politics, or you just break certain things in the system and then you again create like stress for the people in the system and you actually start collapsing it. So, so yeah, you can change it with force. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just thinking of so many studies that talk about the percentage of organizational changes that don't sustain long-term value. So between 
60 and probably 90%, depending on whose data you're using, don't deliver and sustain the long-term value. And my guess is that's what you're talking about. We can transform. We can shove the computer system in. It turns on and it spits stuff out, and it may be accurate stuff. But if people aren't using the content and consistently performing in the way the system was designed, then the business value isn't accomplished, and the humans in the system are damaged long-term and more cynical and less willing to give the incremental effort. Yeah. You, cr you might create short-term value, but not long-term performance. And mm -hmm. that's a critical difference, what we started to understand here in this, in this work, in this research and the larger research mm -hmm. we're doing is it's a difference between short-term gain mm -hmm. or long-term performance. When I was interviewing those 22 people, and what was your value? When I was actually asking for mm -hmm. the value mm -hmm. question, so what were the outcomes that you generated? What, were the what was important to you? Only mm -hmm. outcomes, short-term mm -hmm. outcomes, long-term outcomes? And we're saying, yeah, for sure we want to increase our value. For sure we want to have better outcomes. Of course, nobody and for wants sure, worse. Yeah, and for sure I want that. And you, absolutely. And we want this on the short, medium, and long-term. And mm -hmm. because we want it on the long we can see that because we have a long-term perspective. And we create a social system or social mm -hmm. interactions. Mm -hmm. Or organizing, we use organizing principles that allow us to interact on a long-term basis. So I don't have okay. transactional short-term pieces with my clients, mm. I but partner. I actually create resilient relations with my clients, and they become supporters. They become evangelic about this idea, and so the the key recommendations out of this one then are really identify much more of those places of positive deviance of those leaders and group who do that, mm -hmm. identify and define, by studying them, understanding them more, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. actually well, come up with better practices, best practices, mm -hmm. better mm -hmm. practices, and then understanding what is actually a unit to measure transformational success. Because currently we cannot measure transformation. So let me ask then, in, in the old days doing total quality management and Malcolm Baldrige and stuff like that, we looked at benchmarking successful organizations. This positive deviant thing, how is that different than traditional benchmarking? Or is it benchmarking just based on a different criteria? Well, what I think is, yeah, definitely you, you create a benchmark. You create something aspirational. Okay. But what's the interesting piece here is not, the benchmark is not something, and so in my understanding, the radical difference is that we, the positive deviants that we find are not people that are doing extraordinary stuff because they're extraordinarily smart. These are really normal people doing really normal things. They just stop doing stupid. Therefore, they, yes, so that means the rest setting, of us are stupid? Well, they are setting a standard, but right. they stop beating up each other. They stopped having psychologically unsafe spaces. So therefore, yes, they are creating a kind of example, but something that is actually relatively easy to achieve, not because we have to mm -hmm. do more. You know, benchmark seems like, okay, I have to grow until I'm there. Mm -hmm. and, well, actually... Stop doing some of your practices of hurting people, of, of undermining your own success. So, in some cases, it's transforming process, and some presumably it's the full package. I change the culture, I change the system, and I change the way I work with people. Yeah, okay. this is part of that. And so, and then measuring this change and transformations also really from a systemic perspective. Okay. So, really, what is systemic systemic interplay here? And mm -hmm. here, really drawing from this massive insights created by people like um, Forrester mm -hmm. um, of systems dynamic systems modeling, mm -hmm. really to start seeing and understanding systems in order to, like, what is a leverage point? Mm -hmm. oh, leverage point in order to move something where I 
take care of the individual or the parts, mm -hmm. where I take care of the relations, the things mm -hmm. in between mm -hmm. the individual as well as the whole. So stocks and flows. Exactly. So when you do a systems diagram, and I'm thinking of the stuff I learned 20 years ago with Peter Sange's yes. systems work. So you're doing that inside the company and also with external stakeholders, I'm assuming, back to our earlier conversation about deeper shared purpose. I engage the stakeholders, so it's not just how am I efficient in my four walls, yes. but how do I extend that efficiency to my suppliers and my customers. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think it really depends on what is this thing that you want to achieve. If you want to say, I want to, ha I want to achieve that we have um, like more computers in, in this department, well, then mm -hmm. I probably don't have to involve the stake so much stakeholders outside, right. perhaps. But if I really want to say, I want to radically, I want to increase the performance of my organization by 100%, then I really s I easily come to this question, right? Okay, if I want to increase it, I need certain, I need certain resources, like I need a certain mm -hmm. kind of breed of employees. So mm -hmm. how do I reach that? So I have to work internally on my values that I actually mm -hmm. attract them, and then I have to have a large outreach to those places and understanding of where to go to. So because I cannot go to the places where I went to before. So like really, I have to, as you said, I really have to extend boundaries and extend beyond whatever thinking. Often is counterintuitive what we're looking at. So back to the initial lack of scarcity versus limited. It sounds like one of the things you're talking about is removing some of the barriers in my own thinking. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And actually here, in the, la so in the last um, recommendation that we have here um, really draws from this amazing work that's currently going on in blockchain. Mm -hmm. and, and so blockchain and Bitcoin understanding. Mm -hmm. And here um, we call it smart grids of sustainable transformations. So what are those smart grids or networks, mm -hmm. uh, which are, as we mentioned it before, 100% individualized, okay. as well as hyper-connected, but do not collapse if the whole collapses. Ah. And this is the point of energy efficiency piece, and where the smart grids idea, I love this idea, because the whole system can collapse, but I'm still there. It goes you back know? to my basic learning how to wire circuits in exactly elementary or grade school, whatever. And, and, and this is really something. So this is really something that we take on finding more of those, learning, coming up with a unit to mm -hmm. develop to measure transformational success, transformation. Because currently we don't do that okay. really in the discourse. And so the and, and then really bringing them together and create resilient so impact resilient networks which we call smart grids, really borrowing the idea from energy smart grids, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. here more social mm -hmm. smart grids. So our next interview will likely be more of that. Christoph, thank you. Thank you, and Maureen. This report and the interview will be on the Thought Leadership page on the Metcalf & Associates website. So if you look at the Thought Leader tab, it'll be under Vibrancy Culture of Innovation. Yes. There will be a link to the interview, there will, which you will be listening to right now, and there will be a link to Christoph's report, and we have other resources also about vibrancy yeah. and many of the tools that yeah. Christoph is. And if you want to, hear, if you want to hear more, I will be in June on the intern on the IST 2017, which is the International Sustainability Transformation Conference, and in Sweden, Göteborg. So, Great, thank uh, you very much. Wonderful. So this is Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I hope you heard something from Christoph that inspires you to consider how you change. One is the fact that as leaders we need to continue to change, but he talked about a lot of different things about the environments we create with our people 
that allow them to take up a change something yeah. like it's this idea of deeper shared purpose and creating safety and dealing with ambiguity that he and I talk about in our projects so thank you so much for joining us thank you and we will be back to you again next week thank you again for joining us this week Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.